Um, it is brilliant to be with you this morning. Um, it's great to be back in the church. Isn't it lovely to be here, to be able to worship together again? Um, makes such a difference. And um, uh, I want to begin with uh, God's Word to us today. So can you turn um, in your Bibles? If you've got a device, that's extra helpful with an app, because I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, Ephesians chapter 2. Um, don't worry if you haven't, because I think it's going to appear on the screen too. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 11 to 22. 11 to 22 of Ephesians chapter 2. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews, who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his Spirit. Praise be to God for his word to us today. Um, do keep that open in front of you. And um, I want to begin by introducing a couple of my friends to you. I don't know whether they'll appear um, on the slideshow. Um, is this, is this, this going to work? Hopefully this is going to work. Um, there we go. Uh, that's the intro. Uh, then I want to go to... I want to go straight to... I'm clicking... That slide, they're a couple of friends of mine, um, Emmy and Michael. Now, I want to very briefly introduce Emmy and Michael to you. Um, Emmy um, is even more posh than I am, and I say that in the most loving sense possible, but she speaks even more like the Queen than I do. She wears considerably more floral dresses than I do, pink lipstick a lot of the time. She's, um, uh, 
she's uh, from a church that I used to be part of called Holy Trinity Brompton in Knightsbridge. Uh, she's lived and worked in that area and in Chelsea for a long time. She was a nurse at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital for a while. She's, um, and she's an amazing woman, incredible woman of God. And then on her other side is someone called Michael Emmett, who could not be more different to her in so many ways. He was brought up in the East End. By gangsters. He was abused as a child. He grew up in a life of crime and selling tra- um, drugs, drug dealing. Eventually, he ended up, he was a violent and angry, angry young man, and he ended up in a long prison sentence with his father for what at the time was the largest ever heist of cannabis the police had ever caught anyone with. Um, and uh, his family, you know, were friends with the Cray brothers in the East End of London. They could not be more different, Michael and Emmy. And yet, you see them in that picture. That's a picture I took at an Alpha conference in Uganda quite a number of years ago, as they were sharing part of Michael's transformative story when he'd encountered God in prison, when Emmy, in all her Knightsbridge finery, had gone to this maximum security prison and pretty simply had just said, come Holy Spirit. And Michael and his father's life were transformed in that moment. Alpha in prisons as a ministry was born from that moment. The reason I share that picture is because they could not be, in so many ways, more different to one another. And yet, if you met them now, they are literally like brother and sister. They are united by something that is so much more powerful and profound than any of the differences in their lives that have gone before. They are part of the family of God. And they go away, go go along um, around the world even, often together, sharing now what Jesus has done in their lives and in Michael's life and through Alpha and Prisons and in so many ways. Together, they're even more than the sum of the parts. And in serving Jesus together, and even in the very dynamic of their relationship, if you ever have the privilege to see them together, there's glory given to God for the story of grace in their lives. And they are part of the family of God. They are part of the church because what Jesus of what Jesus has done. Now, uh, last week, uh, if you were here, we introduced this series. We're going to be looking at our vision statement again. And we set out a kind of a framework uh, to help hold all of our vision statement. We talked about how important it was that we as the church knew who we were, our identity in, as a church. And we said out of that, we wanted to take hold of our purpose, our why as a church. And then we wanted our life, shared life together as disciples of Jesus to reflect that why and ultimately who we are. And we, we talked about how this, this art installation actually was helpful in us remembering that and reminding us of that, communicating that. So we are a family of God because of, as we read in our reading earlier, because of what Jesus has done for those of us who are far off to bring us near on the cross. This is what it's all about. It's the heart of how it is we become the family of God. We can claim that name as the family of God, that identity. It's because of the cross. That's who we are. We're going to spend more time on that later. And then we talked about how out of that, the why comes. We're all about love, the love of God shown to us, love of him growing in that relationship, maturing in that relationship, loving one another as the family of God. And then we seek to reach others with the love that's changed our lives and to grow and mature as disciples of Jesus Christ and to transform our communities around us. So you can see how what's there is kind of a representation of what we're wanting to talk about over the next few weeks. 
And I want to start with who we are. We are part of the family of God. Now, um, I said last week that um, uh, our identity as a church and our purpose as our church, like kind of the who and the why, they're kind of actually given to us in the Scriptures. They're given to us in the Bible, just in the same way that um, we are given names at our birth. And we have no control over those. Our parents choose whatever names we want. The reason I'm getting my phone out is if you're on Slido, I ask people, um, what's the weirdest question? Um, uh, Sorry, not the weirdest question. What is the weirdest name in your family, like a middle name or some random name? I've got a middle name. I'll just volunteer because I'm not about just mocking other people. One of my middle names is Erskine. Bit of a funny name. Erskine. It's actually a Scottish surname, my grandmother's maiden name, apparently. But some people in this church family, uh, someone has the middle name Jasper. Not that strange. Uh, someone else is called Wishit. Wishit, which apparently means wise one. Someone called Ondine. Ondine? I hope I pronounced that right. Sounds like it's out of the Lord of the Rings. Westmoreland. Someone's called Westmoreland. Um, uh, and someone very kindly here has put the, the weirdest name in their family is Mike, which <laughs> I think is probably just uh, a poor, boring attempt to have a go at me and mock me from the front. Um, but you see, we're given names at our birth, aren't we? And in the Bible, the identity of the church is given to us. There are a number of names which all speak profound things to us as a church family. I'm going to skip over a few of the better-known ones as we begin, before we settle in and look a little bit more at the family of God one. Uh, Let's begin with one that actually we encountered last term, when we were looking at Jesus, who Jesus says he is. Jesus, in his own words, he said, I'm the light of the world. But he also said to us, to his believers, his followers, you are the light of the world. We, at the Lantern Church, I've said before, the clues in the name, the Lantern, are called to be a light in this community, a light in a dark place. I think we might have, I'm at the point of giving up on my slides, but we might have a slide. There we go. Loads of those amazing lanterns. We are called to be a light in our community, um, a light in the darkness, a beacon of hope in our communities. The church is given the name, the light of the world. Another name that is given to the church is that we are the body of Christ. The body of Christ. That comes up throughout the New Testament, perhaps particularly best known in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want us to see just how radical a vision for church that this was. In the context that this was spoken, that was really hierarchical and where men and women had very different roles in society, where young and old children could be discarded whilst you didn't have any value until you reached of age, really. And um, into that society, into that context this image of the church being like the body of Christ comes into play. The body of Christ, the head is Christ, it's his body, but each one of us is a part of the body of Christ. Each one of us equally valued, loved, cherished, honoured. Each one of us a part to play. And another part in Galatians, it says there is now no more Greek nor Drew, slave nor free, male nor female, because we are all one in Christ Jesus. There's a radical equality and honour in the church. I think we get a picture of it um, last week. Last week, um, you may have just tuned in at home. You probably did just tune in at home. 
But we had Daisy, 14 years old, helping to lead her mum, a little bit older, um, <laughs> leading the church service. Earlier on that morning, we'd had Ralph and Helen Goldenberg, maybe a few years older still, along with the Rolands, a little bit in the middle, younger, <laughs> playing their part to help lead our Thy Kingdom Come prayer meeting. At the back, we had Ben Franklin and three of our other teach, uh, teenagers. We had Sam, Samuel, and we had uh, Tyler, and we had Abby helping run everything back there, along with Martin as well. I don't want to forget Martin. Helping run all the tech at the back and the live stream. We had young and old welcoming into the church this morning. Each one of us plays a part in the body of Christ here. And it's a radical vision of equality, but also submission to Christ, who is at our head. We are the body of Christ. And if you count yourself as part of the church here, the family of God here, you are part of the body. You are loved, you are cherished, you are valued. From the youngest person round there outside of the church to the oldest person here, you are part of the body of the Christ in this place. Didn't even mention Micah, who drummed amazingly on the drums last week as well, um, 13 years old. Um, if you were reading Lantern Light this week and you read the update from Shine, you would have got um, the update from Tony and Roz and um, Chris and Liz Barge and the Alpha course that they've been running that has seen three of our seniors, as it were, who are on the fringe of the church family give their lives to Jesus in the last term on Alpha. All of the body of Christ playing their part to the glory of God. We are the light of the world. We're the body of Christ. We're a holy temple, a spiritual house. Our reading today, verses 20 to 21, says this. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Each of one of us, a spiritual stone in the house, the temple that God is building in this place. And again, this reading, we must understand and see how radical this is. You see, again, in that context, people understood that the place in which God was encountered, if anywhere, was in the temple. That's where you met with the presence of God, in the temple. And so when it says in Ephesians 22, underlines the theology here, it says, and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. There's a boom moment for people. No longer do you need to go to the temple to encounter God. We are the temple. I love this picture. This is a drawing um, by Charlie Mackesy, who's become fairly well known in the last couple of years with a book he's put out there about a fox, a mole, a horse, and a boy. Um, but he drew this as well, which highlights it perfectly. One's a building, one's a temple. Sometimes we get the two mixed up. This church, as important as this building is, it is not the church. You are the church. And when we gather as spiritual stones in this place, it's not so much the bricks and mortar that cause an encounter for people. It's you that help people encounter the presence of God because the Spirit of God is within us. It dwells within this spiritual house that God is building. It's extraordinary. 
Imagine being in a mindset where you thought you had to just go to a place to meet with God, and now you're told that you can meet in your home with a few other Christians, and you can encounter God. It's extraordinary. We're a spiritual house. We're the bride of Christ. I love this one. I think we've got one other picture as well. We are so cherished, so loved by Jesus that it's as if we're his bride, beautifully adorned in pure white wedding finery because our sin has been washed away by the blood of Jesus. It's an extraordinary image for the church of Christ. It speaks of the relationship that God desires with his church as made possible because of Jesus' blood washing us clean. And think of the vows we say on wedding days, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, and until death us do part. Jesus looks at you, his church, his bride, and says, you're worth that. I'd give my life for you. We're the light of the world, we're the body of Christ, we're a holy temple, we're the bride of Christ. Some extraordinary images for the, to speak to the identity of God's church. But as I come in to close, I want to focus in on the one that we kind of chose primarily for our vision statement. You have heard it already this morning at least a couple of times. We are a family of God. I said last week that fundamental to my identity, like almost as I was praying before I came up to preach, I was just like, God, I'm a, I know I'm a child of God. And so there's a sense in which each one of us, if primary to our identity is that we're a child of God, then so together we are a family of God. And there's so much that you could say about this, but I actually, you'll be very relieved about this. I don't want to say too much. I want to keep it simple because I actually want us not to be filled with loads of information, but to be able to own it. And so it's as easy as, um, forgive the cheesiness of this, it's as easy as ABC. We are the family of God because we are adopted, because we are becoming, and because we are called. By the time in the next five, ten minutes, you'll be able to remember all of those things, I hope. We are a family of God because we are adopted, because we are becoming, and because we are called. First of all, every time that we remember that we're a family of God, we remember our adoption. It's a primary narrative in the New Testament for how it, is that, how it is that we became part of the family of God. We had nothing. We were lost without God and hope in the world. And then because of the blood of Jesus, we are adopted into God's family, become full heirs of everything that, is, that God has for us. People talk about grace being God's riches at Christ's expense. We inherit all of that. We are adopted it says in verse 12 that we were excluded, but in verse 13 that it's through the blood of Jesus that we've been brought near. And so every time we think about us being a family of God, I hope that there will be a part of our hearts that explode in worship because we remember the cost of our adoption. We remember what Jesus did that we might become part of the family of God. We are adopted. And I want to say as well at this point, I think... That's why we can have a radical sense of belonging to a church family like this. And for a lot of us, I expect, who 
might have come from different places and different experiences in the last year, or you might be watching at home and you might feel like that torn bit of fabric, still quite torn yourself and detached, ripped apart from your regular church fellowship. I want to remind us that the heart of our identity is we're a family of God because we have been brought back together. We have been adopted into the family of God. We have been sewn together. We were apart, but now we're together. And I want to pray. I want to pray that in this place, over the coming weeks and months, it might be the big work of God that he needs to do in your life, is that you would feel a fresh sense of belonging or a new sense of belonging to this church family, a new sense of your adoption in Christ into this church family. You are adopted. We are loved. We're redeemed at great cost. We are adopted. A, we're adopted. B, we are becoming. I could have used belonging here, but I wanted to weave that into the adopted. We are becoming. We are maturing. Just as in any family, any child grows up and begins to take on the family likeness, begins to, for better or worse, take on some of the habits and ways of that family being. Uh, Poor Daisy came to babysit yesterday evening, and she opened the door to a scene of chaos because we'd just been having one of our tickle fights, which the kids had insisted on, just hyping them all up before you leave them to the babysitter. See, Um, uh, that's that's the way we roll. um, But each family takes on, each child takes on some of the characteristics and the values, the culture of that family the personality of, say, the mother and the father. We are becoming, as a family of God, we are maturing and growing up more and more into the fullness of Christ. And we'll look at more of that next week, just a couple of chapters later, in Ephesians chapter 4. It talks about how we are a maturing family. Every part growing up, maturing in the faith, our knowledge of Christ. Each and every part, as part of the whole, playing their part. So the whole body of Christ gives glory to God and does its work. So we are adopted, we are B, we are becoming, finally C, we are called. Can you turn to the people around you and say we are adopted, we are becoming, and we are called? Just as a quick reminder. You've said it out loud and you remember it. Brilliant. That's great. We are adopted, we are becoming, we are called. The final one is that we are called. We are called, if we are adopted because of the love of Christ, and we're becoming in the love of Christ, then we are called to share the love of Christ in our community. We'll come to that in more detail later on in the series. But of course, the classic passage in this is the call, the commission that Jesus gives to his disciples just before he returns to glory, to heaven. He says in Matthew 28, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Each one of us is called to be ambassadors for Christ, to be light in the world. To, each one of us, of course, has our own particular gifting and calling, the part that we are to play in the body of Christ. Not all of us thank goodness, need to be like Jared or Jamie or Sarah or whoever else. Not all of us need to know how to do the AV or to be brilliant with kids, but each one of us with our own particular shape, our own particular spiritual gifts and heart, passions, personality, all playing our part. But 
all of us, as disciples of Jesus Christ, share a calling as well to go and make disciples. That's universal for all of us. So we are a church that is called, in short, we're a family on a mission. And we've used that phrase before, we're a family on a mission. So we are here, the family of God. We are a, can I hear you say it? Adopted. And so that turns us to worship and praise because we remember the, co- the cost of the cross of Christ to make us family. We are becoming. Can I hear you say becoming? Yeah. Becoming. Because we are maturing and growing up in the love of God that we might love him and love one another more and more as we grow up. More and more exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, empowered with the gifts of the Spirit. We are becoming all that God is calling us to be. And we are we're a family on a mission. We exist not just for our sake, but for the people who are not yet part of this family. Who, like we once were, there's a radical humility in the church. It's all grace. None of us have any pride. We were all once lost in the world without God and without hope. And our heart breaks for those whom we know in our community and we see the devastation sometimes in their lives because they are without God and without hope in the world. They are lost like orphans in the world. It's why actually, and we'll come to this later, we're kind of unashamed in using the language of lost in our vision statement. We reach the lost, grow the found. You can imagine people today going, lost? I'm not lost. How dare you say I'm lost? The only reason we can say that is because we have the humility that comes from knowing we were found. It's nothing to do with us. We were found by God's grace. We were brought near by his blood. So we'll look more at that. We're a family on a mission. Can I invite you to stand? We're going to pray.